Good morning. Get your Bibles out. First Peter chapter 5. Take notes, follow along. Don't let that rain put you to sleep. Isn't that soothing? Flat roof? <laughs> Should have considered that when we bought this building. Rainy days, people are going to sleep. All right, man, it's great to have you. Let's dive in this morning. We're talking about leadership. It's a little bit of a, of a niche series that uh, I feel like the timing is right. And uh, so if you're a guest with us this morning, this is a little bit, the next couple of weeks are a little bit of maybe family talk of something we need to discuss as a church and where we need to go. And I'm excited about it. And, uh, and I'm excited about where we're going. I'm so excited about uh, what the Lord is doing in our local church and, and how we continue to grow. I remember um, when uh, my, my wife and I first uh, got pregnant, she got pregnant. And uh, man, when I, I'm going to just be honest, okay? I love sports, and when I found out I was having a boy, I was thrilled, okay? And I know my daughter, I've tried to get her in sports, and she just doesn't, you know, whatever. It's different, I guess, uh, for her. But, um, but man, I was fired up, and uh, I know some of you guys, you can't admit that publicly, but I just did. Okay, so I was fired up, man, and, like, if my kids had taken other interests, um, like instruments or whatever, that would have been fine, but we, they were doing sports. That's what I'm saying, okay? And... It's, I'm a terrible parent. So I remember, as I'm saying this, I'm like, I'm a terrible parent. So, um, so here we go. And so I remember my son was like four or maybe five years old. And this kind of this, it was, a, it was an evening. And kind of what I had been dreaming about as a dad with a young son, a game of catch. And, uh, and I got the glove, right? And I put it on his hand and I'm like, now look, you know, like your hand is like the hands of a clock. And if the ball goes this way, you kind of do this with your hand and you got it. He's like, yeah, I got it, daddy. And I'm like, okay. And I don't know what I was thinking. I got a real baseball out and uh, I just had in my mind like this moment, like, you know, father, son playing catch. And so I took the ball and I lofted it towards him, like right towards his face. And, and uh, as it was coming towards his face, his hands were like this. And I was like, oh, this is going to end badly, you know, and uh, wham, right in the face, bloody lip, you know, tears. And we go inside and I had to explain to my wife why her son was bleeding. And, uh, and you know, it was like, well, it was supposed to be this magical moment, you know, thing. And it wasn't. And it was because I hadn't really prepared my son, right? I had done a bad job of leading and probably should have used a tennis ball uh, on the first game of catch. It dawned on me with the second child. And so, uh, yeah, let's start a little softer. And um, so, yeah. And so I just hadn't prepared my son and I hadn't done a good job of leading. And so it, he was injured because of it. And, and, uh, and so today I want to talk about leadership, actually. And um, you know, last week we kind of talked about the beauty of the church, and, and uh, you know, you guys are here this morning, and I'm, I'm blown away that anyone showed up this morning because of the weather, and I'm just like, man, you, I know you're here because you love the church, and so now we want to talk about a three-week series, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, like, um, I think there's a leadership crisis in America kind of big picture, right? And, and, and so if, if we're not developing and raising leaders in the church, I, where are they going to come from, right? I mean, we, the church needs to be leading the way in raising great leaders in the culture. And, and uh, you know, I sat my, my oldest son down and, and the, the first opportunity he had to vote, and, you know, was this last presidential election. And I sat him down and 
I said, on behalf of the American people, I'd like to apologize for your two candidates, that you, you know, kind of thing. And some of you think that's funny, some don't. But, uh, but you know, we talked that through, and I made sure he'd given some thought. And I, I didn't tell him how to vote, but, uh, but I, you know, we talked about the, uh, what a gift it is to vote, and I made sure he did vote. And we talked about, you know, what I thought, how a biblical worldview should, should impact your, you know, how you go to the elections. But, man, I, I was, for me, I was incredibly disappointed with the leadership that got put in front of us for the— pr- for the presidency this last go around. And, and I just think it's the, it's the symptom of us not raising up great leaders, and we need to have great leaders inside the church, okay? And so I'm going to do kind of this mini-series, okay? And so today is actually a text that we've looked at before, um, but I want to look at it again this morning, and, um, and it's kind of an overview of leadership in general, all right? And then next week, we want to talk about, I want to talk about how God has structured there to be layers of leadership inside a local church to help uh, maybe carry the burden of serving people together, all right? And we're going to talk about that. And then the, the third week that we're, I'm going to bring to us the actual layer of leadership that the elders want to add that we've been praying. We've Behind the scenes, we've been working on this for a couple of years. We want to add to Coastal Community Church. And so we're going to acknowledge that layer of leadership, and we're going to tell you how we're going to be rolling out over the course of the next couple of years this layer of leadership. So it's a little bit of family talk, okay? And so I really want you to stay with me. And so Coastal, um, even since we've moved locations, has probably grown by another 50 to 60 percent, I'm guessing. Uh, we have two locations now. We have five services that go on on Sunday mornings. There's just so many people that God is entrusting to our local church. And it's just essential that we, as a body, continue, continue to raise up leaders. And so that's what the elders want to do. And we do that for the cause of the gospel. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, uh, he, he's, he's challenged, Paul, the Apostle Paul is challenging this young pastor, Timothy, and he, to, to, he says this, he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's the idea of leadership is that it, we, we're structured in such a way that the gospel efficiently and effectively goes forward so that people are cared for. Last week we talked about, you know, some of the one another's. We looked at three of them last week, loving and bearing one one another's burden, serving one another. That can't happen with just four or five or six people. There's got, we've got to develop leaders who can help bear the burdens and serve one another, shepherd and pastor one another. And so that's really the goal of where we're going. Everybody with me on that? And so you may be saying here this morning, like maybe you've already checked out because you're like, well, I'm not a leader, okay? Now you are a leader. Every person is a leader. And here's why. If I was going to define leadership, I would say that leadership is influence. All right? It's not a title. It's influence. You, you can lead a lot of people and never have a title. No one give you a title. I've never been a title guy. I get cautious around. I think there's a little bit of a danger around titles, but, but I also see the value of them. But leadership really is influence. And, and I would say this, and uh, God is the giver of influence. It's, it's not something you manipulate. It's not something a title adds to you. We see this in the story of Joseph, which, by the way, we're going to be covering in a couple weeks when we do start our Genesis series, uh, The Life of Joseph. But 
Joseph, God, wherever Joseph lands, all right, his brothers sell him into slavery, and he ends up a slave at a guy's by the name of Potiphar's house. And what does Joseph do? He raises up into power, right? He leads the whole house. He's got influence over the whole house. And, and then a lie gets told about Joseph, and he ends up in jail, right? And when he's in jail, what happens? He raises up. His influence grows because he's, he's the things we're going to talk about here this morning, right? He's these things. He's this kind of person. So his influence just naturally grows without anybody giving him a title, and then eventually he becomes in charge of the whole jail. And then, and then eventually, if you know the story of Joseph, he ends up second in charge of the most powerful country on planet Earth. Why? Because he's the person that we're about to talk about. And so all of us have influence. If you're a parent, you have influence, right? If you're leading one of our, or you're serving in one of our ministries here at Coastal Community Church with our children, or our small groups, or our young adults, or our college, I could go on and on, men's, women's, you have influencers, people that God has given, he's entrusted to you uh, to impact, right? I'm so thankful. I said this last week of the volunteers in our, in our student ministry throughout the years that have invested in my children. You have influence in my home because of your serving in the local church. If you're a teacher, if you at the workplace, we, uh, your roommates, I could go on and on. We all have influence. Our lives are bumping against other lives, and, and therefore we are influencing others, okay? And so let's look at the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is uh, uh, written to a local church, and chapter 5 is specifically written to elders, okay? Pastors and elders, and, and so I'm not, I want, but I want to broaden the scope a little bit, but this is a passage of Scripture that probably once a year I try to bring up in an elders meeting at Coastal and just read it, and we talk about it to remind ourselves as the elders of Coastal, like, this is our God-given responsibility in leadership, okay? So the first thing I want you to see when it comes to leadership, whether you're a pastor, you're an elder, you're a parent, you're a ministry leader at Coastal, you're a small group leader, uh, you're serving somewhere in this local church, you're in trusted with people. It's about people when you lead. Now, I'm going to talk about how we honor the Lord in a moment. The, 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 uh, the, the, uh, we're ultimately honoring the Lord, but we're entrusted with people. It's a people business. In fact, what is it that in, in the business world, what is it that makes a great business go? It's, it's understanding, man, it's the people. I'm serving the people. I love when I'm around a, a great business person in, here in our church. And one of the things I, I hear them say over and over and over, whatever they do, whatever their product is, they often will say, I'm helping people, right? They believe that about their business. And, and we go, man, it's about it. So if the business world understands that, I'm, I'm, I'm always shocked, right? Uh, there's a little strip of restaurants right out here. But I'm not going to name names, okay? Uh, you'll figure it out in just a minute. There's a little strip of restaurants here, right out the road here. And, and, and you can go down 17 at dinner time, and there's four or five of them. And like of the five, let's say there's, I'll have to count, but let's say there's four. Of the four, three of them are empty, and one has a line going around the uh, building, right? Around the, you, I won't give free advertising, but it's Chick-fil-A. And so, um, <laughs> like, why is that? Well, my pleasure, right? My pleasure. And you just feel loved when you go there, and it's my pleasure, my pleasure. And I always ask the people, is it really your pleasure to make my chicken sandwich? So, like, but it's about people, right? We care for people. First Peter 5, 2. Peter writes, I'm going to come back to verse 1, by the way. I'm going to circle back to that. But First Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. We're entrusted with people. And the word that Peter uses here is the idea of shepherding. And the idea of shepherding is caring. If you're, when you lead people, you care for people. You let people into your heart. You, you are concerned about what they're concerned about. 
Now, I don't know about you, but like, uh, raise your hand. Oh, this is a, if anybody raises their hand, I'm going to applaud for you. Does anybody in this room know an actual shepherd? Like, they take care of sheep. I, I don't know. One back there. Okay. And yeah, so maybe you do, right? But what, like a lot of us are like, what in the world does a shepherd do? And the 23rd Psalm gives us a great picture. The Lord, ultimately, if you're a Christian, Christ is your shepherd. Christ is the shepherd of this church. The 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. What's it say next? Anybody know? I shall not what? Well, he meets all our needs. That's a shepherd meets our needs. We could go through the 23rd Psalm, but a couple things, just to be brief, right? A shepherd leads. He doesn't look at his flock of sheep and, and say, hey, uh, we need to find some food this morning. Which direction you guys want to go? You want to go left or right? No, a shepherd leads and takes his sheep, his flock to food, uh, you know, in your home. Your, your job is to lead your job is to take care of your family. You know, I'm raising, I'm in the throes of teen years right now. I Listen, every once in a while, my kids don't like the decisions I make, okay, to guard the faith. It's rare. It's so rare. Uh, but once in a while, they'll be like, that's so dumb, you know, kind of thing. Why? It's my job to lead, you know, and my job to groom and develop you to be an adult, right? A, a shepherd defends, a shepherd protects his flock. And when I'm talking to the elders, I, you know, the language we use behind the scenes, I'm gonna let you know a little behind the scene language. Behind the scenes, we use this language. We're staff led, but we're elder protected. The role of the elders is to protect this flock, to defend it from false teaching. Well, like I talked about last week, to make sure their pastor is a Timothy three guy. He's a man of character. That's the role of the elders, to protect the finances, to protect our children. Make sure we're, to protect us in our corporate gathering. In fact, if you'll notice around here over the last year, year and a half, we've developed more of a security, a security team. Why have we done that? Because one of our elders is like, man, I want to make sure we're safe when we gather corporately. And, you know, you don't have to read the news long to know that ch churches are becoming targets of, of violence. And so we're trying hard to go, hey, how can we protect our fight? We protect the finances. And I could just go on and on and on about the things that the elders take seriously. That we're here to protect you as a leader. You protect your small group. As a, as a husband and a father, you protect your home. I was just talking to somebody in between services, man. We we're talking about the internet use and how this person's in law enforcement. He's like, I can't tell you how many times I, I see a phone of evidence and, and I get this phone and this parent has handed an eight or 10 year old kid and they're just all over the place with pornography and talking to adults. Parents, don't hand your kids electronics without protecting them. That's your job. That's what it means to shepherd. You're not caring for your family. If you give a young child internet opportunity and say, have at it, you'll be all right. There's a great chance they won't be all right. Protect your home and shepherd their thinking, right? And, and <clears throat> you know, our, our school systems, parents, they're they are not teaching a biblical worldview. Let's, let's stop kidding ourselves. And so, you know, you, you need, and I'm not saying let's pull our kids. My kids go to public school, but I'm making sure, man, I give them a biblical worldview when they come home, that we're investing in our families, we're protecting the way our kids think. A shepherd provides food and water, you know, and uh, that's what a shepherd leads the sheep to food and water. So we provide it. Coastal, the elders provide sound biblical teaching. Uh, that's their responsibility. So, uh, so we're, when we lead, we're entrusted with people. First Peter 5, 2, Peter goes on to say, and shepherd, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The idea of exercising oversight is to watch or, or literally to pay attention. I mean, people deserve your attention. 
right? When you're hanging out with someone, put your phone down and give them some attention, right? Amen. All right, one person. Man, people deserve your attention. When God allows you to give influence in a person's life, this is a divine entrustment of the Lord that he's given people. And leadership is exhausting, as we're going to see. When you, when you give of yourself to people, it's, it, there's a little weight to that. There's a burden to that. Leadership's exhausting. I think a lot of reasons we don't tend to lead. And by the way, after the sermon, listen, there, there may be... We, we have, I don't know, maybe 70 to 80 small groups right now. We need more than that to house the people that God's sending us. So your small group leader may tap you and say, hey, will you be an apprentice with me? And listen, you should go home and pray about it. But a lot of times people use, I'm going to go home and pray about it as an excuse to just never give an answer, right? I'm going to go pray about it. And then we hear crickets, right? Listen, if someone asks you, be quicker to say yes, and the reason we tend not to say yes to leadership is we understand the burden of leadership. It's, it's not easy to be a leader because you're entrusted with people, but people deserve your attention. Number two, biblical leadership is a divine assignment. When God grants leadership, it's a divine assignment. No matter where you are, even in the workplace, if God's entrusted you with people, it's a divine assignment. First Peter 5, 2 and 3. Peter writes this, he says, when you lead, he says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but, but being examples to the flock. Now, let me unpack this three, I think three, letter A, three things about what, it, what does biblical leadership look like? Number one, or A, letter A. Biblical leadership is, first, it's serving God, or serving God first, when God gives us people to lead, ultimately we're not, we're not serving, we, we serve the people, but the, the heart is engaged as doing it, as honoring to the Lord. Our worship is to the Lord. It's not to gain the approval of man. We serve the people, but our worship and our adoration is, hey, God gave me this and I'm going to do it with all of my heart as worship to the Lord. And it's an assignment for a season. And you remember, the assignment comes through the, to, uh, from the Lord. And the reason our focus is on, on God in leading is because God sees, the Bible is very clear, God sees and God does reward. If our focus is on the people, the people are sinners just like you, and they're going to let you down, right? You ever been let down by people? Now, this, is not, this is rhetorical, so don't speak out loud. You ever been let down, let down by your pastor? Okay, of course you have, right? Because he's a person. He's not perfect, right? And so when we lead people, it's, it's to honor the Lord. It's recognizing, man, the Lord has given me this opportunity. He's entrusted these people to me, and, and, and we need the gospel. why focusing on Christ is so important. It is Christ that fills our soul. It is Christ that we're serving. It is Christ that allows us to be accepted by God unconditionally in Christ. We need Christ when we lead. He fills us. Because if you focus on the people, the people will leave you empty. They're going to leave you empty. You can't serve for the people. You serve for the Lord. There's a great the book of Numbers. I love this. I love, love, love this so much. And, and um, Moses, you know the story. Probably most of you know the story of Moses. But 
Um, nation of Israel incubates in Egypt. They, get, they grow large. God raises up a leader, Moses, to lead the people out of Egypt to the promised land that he promised to Abraham. Which, okay, so we're going through Genesis coming up in a few weeks. So you should begin to feel, get a feel for these stories and how they uh, point us to Christ in the New Testament. But, but so God raises up Moses to lead them. And so, you know, the, the plagues come and the parting of the Red Sea and the people of Israel go go across the Red Sea, and they're in the wilderness. The Red Sea collapses over the nation of Egypt, the warriors of Egypt. So, I mean, essentially this, this impoverished slave nation, God totally rescues all by his hand from beginning to end, which is a to- beautiful picture of our salvation, that God in Christ has saved us from beginning to end, taking care of all our enemies, vanquishing all our enemies. And we see that in Moses. But the very practical side is these people of Israel, you know, I don't know, maybe a million people, they cross the Red Sea and they're standing in the wilderness. And can you imagine? So the Red Sea closes up on the people of Israel. It's a big, huge celebration. Holy cow, can you believe what God did? Anyway, that's day one. Can you imagine day two? Now what? Like, like, how do we eat, right? Is anybody here considered water? We'll need water, right? And, and uh, there's nothing to live in, you know? And we, we got to get across this desert with all these people. And I mean, can you even imagine the structure? And, and so what you have in numbers is just one complaint after the next that Moses feels. Complaint, complaint, complaint. And God intervenes and God gives water and God gives food. And, and so eventually God gives manna, right? And, and he brings the people manna. Anybody remember that? And, and they were each morning, God sends this food called manna. And they were supposed to go out and it was there in the morning. They pick up just enough for the day. They weren't supposed to pick up extra because if they pick up extra the next morning, it would be moldy because they're supposed to trust God to provide for their daily needs as they want to cross the wilderness. And so, and so God provides this manna and it's miraculous and, and probably, and if you have teenagers, you should get this, right? Have you, ever, have you ever served your teenagers the same meal? I mean, leftovers day one seems to be palatable, but have you ever served that leftovers day two? Like day, so you have the meal, there's day one leftover, day two. Like, have you ever had that day? Ugh! There's nothing to eat here, you know? Like, I'm so sick of this food. You know, can't we go to the unnamed restaurant called Chick-fil-A? And, uh, you know, on and on it goes. Well, guess what? Moses had the same thing. The people get manna, right? There's only so many recipes you can do with manna, right? And then you just get sick of it. And so in Numbers chapter 11... Verse 4, it says, Now the rabble that was among them had strong cravings, and the people of Israel wept again. They said, Oh, oh, that we had meat to eat. Now listen, they're longing for their slavery days. Okay, this is when they were in slavery. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt, and do you remember what it cost us? Nothing. We just went to the Red Sea and fished, and oh, by the way, we were slaves the whole time. And the cucumbers, oh, then the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Honey, you remember how good I smelled after I ate all that garlic? Those were the days. But now our strength is dried up. There's nothing here at all but this manna to look at, right? And they come to Moses with this complaint. Now, I love Moses' reply. He has had enough. So if you don't giggle at this next passage, it's because you've never led people, okay? So here's Moses' response. Here it is. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I, found not, why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? All right, so he feels the weight of leading the people. And then he says this, and I love this. 
did I conceive all these people? <laughs> you ever done that? I've done that with my own children. Did I con- Oh yeah, shucks, I did. Okay, so did I give birth to them? You should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to your fathers. Where in the world am I going to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep to me, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry this, all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me, okay? So he said, man, God, I'm burdened by leading these people. I don't know where I'm supposed to get meat. And so he comes up with a solution. Hey, God, maybe we could raise up a new level of leaders to help me, right? That's the solution. No, here's the solution. He says, if you will treat me like this, do what? Just take me home, right? I'm, I'm out, you ever led people and you've been there? Yes, like heaven sounds a lot better than these people. Okay, so kill me. And he goes on. If I find favor in your sight, God, you know, and that I may not see my rest, kill me. Just kill me, right? Listen, leading people's tough. This is why the, the focus of your heart is not on the people. The focus of your heart is on God. Because, pe- listen, there's going to be times where you lead people and you're going to go over and above and they're going to criticize your motives when you know deep down your intentions were right and good. You ever had that happen? I've had that happen. Here's why you did that, Pastor. There, there, there's going to be times you lead people and, and people are going to imply that others could do it better. There's going to be times where you help people, you get, help them get back on their feet. When they get back on their feet, man, they're going to leave your group. They're going to leave your little circle of influence and go somewhere else. And leading is hard. Leading is hard. And we're not to do it to focus on people. We're doing it to focus on the Lord. And here's the really good news in verse 4 of 1 Peter 5. It, it, does, it may go unnoticed by people, but it doesn't go unnoticed by the Lord. This is where a couple weeks ago I talked about being eternally minded. We have to be eternally minded. Verse, 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive what? The unfading crown of glory. And we lead when we serve people. God notices and God rewards And so we're leading with the thought of, hey, this is an opportunity to worship the Lord with the people He's entrusted me. Okay? 1 Peter 5, 2, we lead not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Biblical leadership, number two, or letter B, is humble service. When we lead, we lead with humility. We're serving others. It's, It's always about others first that we're serving. And Jesus modeled this for us, right, in John chapter 13, um, where Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, right? And in Bible times, in New Testament times, when you would eat, you would eat at a table. And it's not a table like we eat, where we sit in a chair and everything's kind of, you know, this level. In in New Testament times, your table was actually down on the ground. It would be very low, and everyone would kind of kneel on the ground or sit on the ground. And so, if a host was wealthy, a host would have a servant that would come, and before your food was served, before you would eat, they would come and wash your feet, because you, your feet are down by your food, your roads are dusty, you know, they're just dirty, right? And and uh, one of the things Pastor Andrews brought to Coastal, heading into Easter, is we celebrate Monday Thursday, and we do a foot washing. So, that's why no one ever comes. And so, uh, you should come. And the first time I did it, I only washed my wife's feet. She only washed my feet. And to this day, it's, it's humbling. It's hard. 
and she's got nice Tom shoes on, right? Like, and so, you know, and, and, and it's difficult, but it's a picture of serving. Le- anywhere in the Bible where leadership is granted, it's always humble servant leadership. It's never lording it over people, but it's serving people. And G- we see this in Jesus, John 13, right? Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper, so no one was washing anybody's feet, right, before the meal. So Jesus did it. He laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel, tied it around his waist, and he poured water in the basin, began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus is demonstrating for this. This is what leadership looks like. He knows he's, he's, he, that he had come from God. He was going back to God, that all things were given into his hands. And so what does he do with all this authority and all this power? He takes the lowliest assignment. He says, this is what disciples, apostles, this is what leadership looks like. And so Jesus led by taking the lowliest position. So biblical leadership, it's serving God first as an act of worship. It's humility. And number three, it's leading. Biblical leadership is integrity. It's who you are when no one's looking. It's character. Right? First Peter 5, 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Like, it, it's, it's this idea that you're a person of character, that your yes is a yes. This is, for me, when it comes to politics, um, if someone's married, this is why their private life matters to me. If they said yes to marriage vows, I got to know your yes is a yes. I got to know that the politician's not flirtatious and, 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 and that their private vows matter. Integrity matters. We see this, and and as we go forward, we're going to unpack this in the coming weeks, but in Timothy chapter 3, we talk about church leadership. Most of Timothy 3, which defines church leaders, is about character and integrity and and who you are when no one's looking. And and, and why? Because leadership is a divine assignment. We should be growing to be more like Jesus. We should be growing to be be, be, uh, growing in our character because we're reflecting who Jesus is, right? Now, uh, a couple things about this at Coastal, all right? No leader is perfect. No leader, we're not expecting perfection, right, until we get to heaven, right? So, but when we appoint an elder or a pastor, we, we do our best to make sure that this person has a high level of integrity. That doesn't mean a person will never make mistakes, but I can assure you at Coastal, if there is habitual, unrepentant sin at Coastal and a high-capacity leader, that will not be swept under the rug, it will be dealt with in an appropriate and a godly manner that honors the Lord and honors your trust in your leaders, okay? We take that extremely serious. So that's the one spectrum. The other spectrum is God still uses broken people. You might be sitting here going, man, Pastor, you know, I'll never be a leader. Like, if you knew my past, listen, can I tell you something? The gospel transforms the past, God takes brokenness, and when we submit it to Christ, He transforms it. And we see this over and over again in the Scriptures. And, and, and I want to point this, so I want to circle back to verse 1 of 1 Peter 5, right? Because I think this verse is very important to understanding leadership. 1 Peter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Peter writes this. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the what, church? The sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, what's interesting here is you pause and you really, it's easy to glance over that. Why in the world would the Apostle Peter say, I'm a fellow elder and I'm a witness to the sufferings of Christ? Like, why wouldn't he say, um, hey, I 
am a witness to the resurrection of Christ. I, I saw the resurrected Christ. Why wouldn't he say, Peter, I'm a fellow elder. I'm the guy who got out of the boat and walked on water when no one else would do it. That would be me, remember? Why didn't he say that? Why didn't he say, Peter, a fellow elder and a witness to the transfiguration of Christ where the deity, the glory of God, the glory of Christ was revealed on the Mount Transfiguration where Jesus took just three of his apostles to see it. Why didn't Peter say, I'm a fellow witness to that? Why in the world would Peter say, and a witness to the sufferings of Christ? You want to know why I think he said that? What was Peter doing while Christ was suffering? Anybody remember? I don't even know him. I don't know nothing about that going on over there. He was denying he even knew Christ. Why would he highlight that? I mean, this was probably Peter's biggest failure, his biggest, his biggest humiliation. Yet here he is, he's saying, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a man that's leading the church. I think that Peter is reminding, as he tells the story, that forgiveness and being able to make a difference for the cause of the gospel is entirely possible for anybody who repents of sin and trusts Christ afresh and anew. Isn't that great news? Our God still uses broken people. So, you know, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I could never be, that's not true. Repent. Believe, let Christ shape you more and more into his image. And as you do that, your influence will expand. And God uses broken people. How freeing. They use broken people to, to push forward the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So maybe that's you. And maybe that's you. And you're like, How, can I develop? Yes, here it is. Ready? Number three. The making of a great leader is to be a great follower. The making of a great leader is to be a great follower. Follow your small group leader. Follow your ministry, ministry leader. Follow your pastors, follow your elders, follow your boss at work. Follow your husband, children, follow your parents. Do it with humility. And Peter says this, like the making of a great follower is a, a great leader is a great follower. First Peter 5, 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Be a great follower. In God's timing, He raise you up and expand your leadership. Recognize that whoever God has placed over you in leadership, that leadership is difficult. I think it's one of the reasons we can't get great people to run for politics because it's just so brutal nowadays to run for a political position. Like your, your past is drug up and it's thrown in your face over and over and over. It's like, I think we, we lose out on what could be because some great leaders in our country, because no one wants to be put under the kind of scrutiny that nobody fairly should be put under. Be a great follower. Uh, Hebrews 13 says this in church life. He says, obey your leaders, submit to them. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those must give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Listen, church, we, uh, we have a need to raise up leaders at Coastal. God keeps sending us people, and we don't want any one person to turn into Moses, right, when you're by yourself and, and you're like, man, God, I just can't handle all these people. No one person should handle all the people. In fact, next week, we're going to look at Moses and how Moses began to develop some layers of leadership to help, to help lead a large group of people. We need to develop that. So here's my question. Is God developing you to be a leader? 
And it starts with, with your commitment to Christ. Worship Christ. Connect, grow, serve, man. Get involved. Be a part. See what God's doing. See if God's not raising you up. I want to I close with this story to encourage you. It's a little bit of a lengthy story to set it up properly, right? But, but um, I want to talk about King David. King David was the king of Israel that's probably the most famous king of Israel. He really set the nation of Israel up in the Old Testament towards good things and prosperity and, uh, and really led the nation almost to its pinnacle of its success, right up to handing it off to Solomon. And we know under his son Solomon, man, the nation ex- ex- experienced incredible success. But David actually wasn't the first king of Israel. Does anybody know who the first king of Israel was? It was Saul, right? It was King Saul. And, and so the nation was kind of, clam- Israel. the people of Israel were claiming, clamoring for a king. And, and, uh, and so they chose Saul. Saul really wasn't, wasn't God's choice. It was the people's choice. And does anybody remember why they chose Saul to be the king? Anybody? He was tall and handsome. I mean, I could have been king, you know? And so, like, no, I'd probably, like, he's tall. Wow. He's huge. I mean, Shaq would be president, right? Like, that's, that's their criteria. And very quickly, his leadership unravels because he doesn't follow the Lord. And finally, the Lord rejects him. Now, the Lord doesn't immediately remove him from leadership, but he says, look, your longevity is going to be rejected. And he, he tells Samuel, the prophet, he says, I want you to go anoint the king that I'm going to choose. It's the king who, whose heart beats for me. And, and so he sends him to the house of Jesse, this guy named Jesse. And he says, I want you to go to Jesse's house. That's where you're going to find the king, right? And so the first son comes out, the oldest son of Jesse, a guy by the name of Eliab comes out and and Samuel's like, surely this is the guy because he's pretty tall. What is it about height and leadership, right? And so, and so in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel's like, yeah, Eliab, that's got to be the guy. And in verse 7, it says this. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or the what? Height. Fascination with tall people, all right, for of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel then begins to go through the brothers. And he gets done going on through all the brothers. God says to Samuel, none of these are the, one, the sons of Jesse that I've picked to be my king. And so finally, Samuel looks at Jesse, the father, and he goes, do you have another son? And he's like, yeah, I have my son David. He's out, but he's out tending the sheep. Now listen, you have to know being a shepherd, which is fascinating that in the New Testament, the same language is used for the elders of a church, 1 Peter 5, right? The same language is used to describe Jesus, our Savior, and in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd was the lowest of the low. It was like the worst job to have, right? Because it was humble, it was dirty, it was gross. You're out with the sheep, sheep stink, right? You're out in the elements. It's like being on the parking team today. Like, no one wants to serve in that. Like, that's what, you know, that's what David was doing. So he's out there tending sheep. And Jesse's like, yeah, I got this kid. He's like, he's doing sheep, you know. And, and so, and sure enough, that's who God chose. And he gets anointed as king. Now, he's not yet in charge, right, but he's the future king. He's, the, he's appointed, right. And so then we turn one chapter over, and you'll know the story, right. <clears throat> The nation of Israel is being stared down by uh, another nation called the Philistines. And every single day, the Philistines send out this tall guy to mock them. Anybody know who he is? Goliath, right? He sends out Goliath every single day. And so Goliath comes out every day. He mocks the nation of Israel. He mocks the God of Israel. And so, the, and so who should go out and do battle with, with Goliath? 
the tallest guy in Israel, which was who? Saul, right? But Saul's a coward, and Saul's not going out. So David comes out to the, the front lines to bring his brothers some food. And his dad sends him, says, go bring some food to your brothers. And David comes out, and he hears Goliath, all right, cursing God and cursing the nation of Israel. And so he decides, I'll go take this guy on. So he goes to King Saul, and he says to King Saul, let me go out there and take on Goliath. And Saul says, what? Why would I let you do that? You're a little guy, like you're going to get slaughtered. Like kind of give me your resume, okay? And so in 1 Samuel 17, David gives his resume, and here it is, ready? But David said to Saul, here's his resume, why he could go face Goliath. Your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. Eh. Like, it'd be like me going, hey, why should I put you in charge of this? Well, you know, and so think of some low job. I used to sweep the floors, at Burger King, man, I was awesome, you know? And you'd be like, okay. Like, that's kind of what he's saying. Like, I used to keep the sheep for my father. And when there came a lion or a bear, let's just pause right there for a minute, okay? <laughs> you got it, right? All right. <laughs> and when there came a lion or a bear, and he took a lamb from the flock. So picture this, you're watching your sheep, you got your flock, here comes a lion, you see him prowling over, coming out of the woods towards your field, and you see him get one of your sheep. Now, now let me, you re, you're already reading ahead, don't read ahead. Here's what I would, here's what it would say if Sean Brown was a shepherd. The rest of us, he's only got one. The rest of us are going this way, like we're good, okay? One's fine, so you didn't get the whole thing. No, listen, here's his resume. And when he took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, what? <laughs> Who does this, right? Like, if he rose against me, now I lost my place. Uh, yeah, here it is. If he rose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I struck him, and I killed him. That's incredible, right? Like, who does that? Mark Lee is the only person that came to my mind, and our coach, like, what? He probably has done that, right? You're, you're, six people know Mark. Okay, so um, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul was like, yeah, I guess so. Go for it, right? Go, and may the Lord be with you, right? Listen, all those days in the field where it's raining and it's gross and like, man, all my brothers get to do the cool stuff and here I am. God was preparing David. Isn't that cool? He was just being a good follower. He's doing what his dad had told him to do. And he was serving. He was doing it with diligence. He was probably doing this lowly job better than anyone was doing it. I, I would suspect most shepherds were like, yeah, the bear gets that one. The rest come with me. Not many people were like, hey, let's go do hand-to-hand -hand combat with a grizzly bear, okay? He could have crumbled, grumbled about his job. He could have complained about his lonely assignment, but he trusted the Lord that the Lord was up to something bigger. God was building David to be a great leader that God could use to lead a nation. It's easy to grow weary in your current assignment. But I would challenge you, maybe God is preparing you. Preparing you as you serve the Lord in your current assignment as worship to Him. As you serve the Lord with integrity, right where you are. You, your yes is a yes. You fulfill what you said you were going to do, and you do it with character. 
and humility, and you serve the people around you. It could be a spouse. It could be a small group. It could be the kids. It could be a ministry you've said yes to. I mean, listen, on the way out the door today, you grab a parking team member who their yes was a yes, and they showed up today, and they stood out there in the cold, and they waved your cars in. If I don't get done here soon, they're going to be really angry at me because the parking lot gets full between these two services. And so, like, thank them because their yes is a yes. That's leadership. And maybe God's preparing us. And it could be that God is seeing first if you're faithful, if you have character, if you have integrity in the small things. First Peter 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Serve God where you are. He's developing you. He's molding you. He's in charge of the influence that your life has to steward. But be prepared. God is shaping you. God is molding you. Paul said, take the gospel and trust it to faithful people who will pass it on to faithful people. It's the job of Christians. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we have a need of leadership, a layer of leadership at Coastal Community Church. You continue to send us people, God, and we are grateful. We're humbled, Lord. We understand that Entrusted with people is a, is, a, is a godly assignment. It's, you've given us people that we are to help develop as authentic followers of Christ. And now we're thinking about adding a layer of leadership, Lord. And there are men and women in this room that you're molding and you're shaping. I thank you for them. Thank you for their faithful service where they are, God. Continue to mold them and shape them. Help them to know that wherever they're serving, wherever they're leading, that God sees, God rewards. God, we need a, a new layer of leadership. We need some folks to step up. And I pray for the ones in this room, when they're asked, they would say, you know what, I'm in. I'll help. I'll serve. It's, it's a high calling to serve Christ's church. So, Father, I pray that Coastal, as we raise up leaders, the goal is not the title or a leader in and of itself. The goal is to better lift up who is in charge of this church, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the head of this church. His gospel message would go forward both efficiently and effectively so that the lost would be found, so that believers would continue to grow, so that the name and fame of Christ would be lifted up. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.